The text for today's sermon is taken from the Word of God, summarized in our confessions. We will read Lord's Day 11. It's found on page 526 of the Book of Praise. Question answer 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus, for one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. Dear children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and guests. It would have to be one of the best-known names in the world today, Jesus. As Christianity is the religion with the largest number of followers, more people claim to worship or follow Jesus than any other person. And even many of those who do not worship him will know the name, know something of his person. Not to mention the many who use our Lord's name as a stopgap or even as a curse. Jesus. The familiarity people have with the name may mean the name has lost its appeal or shine. And in our day and age, it's just a name. You might have heard the saying, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. To us, names are just names. They have little significance. A name is a reference indicator, no more. Not so when it comes to the names found in Scripture. There, names have a deep significance, express a program or a character. Our Savior's personal name is a most wonderful name, filled with meaning. Indeed, it is such a correct name that the simple confession, I believe in Jesus, can say it all. For the name Jesus relates to the concept of salvation, of redemption of being set free. It also relates to power and might. Jesus' earthly parents were both told individually to name their child Jesus. To Father Joseph it was said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, 21. To Mother Mary it was said, you shall call his name Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Luke 1, 31-33 I believe in Jesus is not just a confession of whom to put your faith in, but also of why you put your faith in him. As Jesus, he is both Savior and Lord. 
The name Jesus itself is closely related to the concept of salvation. There are two ways in which this works. First, Jesus in Hebrew would be Joshua, and that literally means Yahweh saves. Second, Jesus in Greek is very similar to the Greek word for to save. Thus, salvation is the reason why Jesus received his name. Salvation was his life mission. This afternoon, we wish to explore what God tells us through his name, why we confess it the way we do, and what that name means for our lives. We listen to God's word with this theme. I am secure in Jesus, the Savior. We will look at three things. He is the true Savior. He is the complete Savior. And he is our Savior. Jesus is the true Savior. Salvation, redemption, liberation, an important concept for Israel. For some 400 years, Israel had been in the land of Egypt. At first, things went well. But then Israel became a people of slaves, second-rate citizens, slaving away for the benefit of the Egyptian overlords, oppression of the worst sort, to the point that the Egyptians even tried a form of ethnic cleansing by having all the baby boys of Israel killed. But then came Yahweh El Shaddai. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he redeemed his people from the land of slavery, from the house of bondage. A feast was born to celebrate this day of freedom and independence, the Passover. For on this very day, said the Lord when instituting this feast, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Now there was more to the Passover, for the angel of death had made his round in Egypt. And every door that was surrounded by blood he passed by, he passed over. Passover wasn't just the Jewish equivalent of Canada Day or the 4th of July. It was as much about redemption from God's righteous judgment. Parents were to tell their children every year, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. So Passover is as much about redemption from God's anger as it is from Egypt's slavery. Redemption, liberation, salvation, was central to Israel's sense of identity. It was central to their covenant with God. The commandments were prefaced with the reminder who set you free from Egypt, from slavery. As time went on, Israel suffered many more moments of oppression and thus liberation. From Canaanites, from Moabites and Ammonites, from Midianites, from Edomites, from Philistines, from Syrians and Damascus, Assyrians and Nineveh, from Babylonians, from Persians, from Macedonian Greeks. And during the time our Lord was on earth, the promise of redemption tended to focus on the Roman oppressors. Boys and girls, during Jesus' life on earth, the Romans occupied Israel. And did the Israelites ever hate the Romans? Now God had promised a great king who would set Israel free from all oppression forever and ever. This great king was known to the people then as the anointed of the Lord, Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek. Back in Jesus' days, Israelites figured the Messiah would save them from the Romans. 
The disciples thought that too. Even after the resurrection, they asked Lord Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1 verse 6. How about today? Imagine if we were to ask random people at the West Edmonton Mall, if you were promised salvation, what would you want to be saved from? What response would we get? That would depend on who we talk to. For some, political injustice, social injustice for others, disabilities, maybe even global warming. We can identify with some of these, but I ask you, is that at bottom what salvation is needed for? Is salvation shaped by human need? Is this sufficiently complete? Don't get me wrong, political injustice, social justice, ability, health, and freedom, they are certainly elements of God's plan of salvation. But these don't touch the heart of salvation. God tells us there's something more basic that needs setting right. Imagine you have a splinter in your skin. It's a big one. The wound starts to fester. And then all you do is put a Band-Aid on it, put it out of sight, take some Tylenol, Suppress the pain to lower the fever. Sure, you'll feel a little more comfortable, but does it solve the problem? Find the root of evil and eradicate that. That's what true salvation will have to be about, and that is exactly what the Lord Jesus came to do. Peter proclaimed, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness of sins. Sin, that's the real root of all evil. Not making love and loyalty the primary goals of our lives. Disobeying God's law. That's what lies at back of political injustice, of social injustice, even disability, of all manner of misery. The Son of God came into the world to take away sin. This truth was emphasized regularly by the Lord Jesus as he went about Israel preaching the kingdom of God. Many a time he was confronted with situations of misery and injustice, and the Lord Jesus did much to make things better. However, that was not the bottom issue. Boys and girls, remember? When a man who couldn't walk was let down through the roof of Jesus' house in Capernaum, remember that? The man's friends opened the hole in the roof and let their friend who could not walk down on a mattress. Now remember what the Lord first said to him. He didn't say, be healed, get up on your feet. No, the Lord Jesus said something else. Man, your sins are forgiven. Getting rid of sin, the guilt it creates, how it makes God angry, that's the most important thing which the Lord Jesus came to do. Salvation is the great rescue from sin, from selfishness. As we read in our form for Lord's Supper, sin is the cause of our hunger and misery. It's because of self-centeredness that there are cruel dictatorships, that there's ethnic discrimination, that there are disabilities in the world. Misery is the curse that came over us because of our rebelliousness. We humans by nature place our own needs above those of God and others. A salvation that does not tackle the issue of sin is worthless. Salvation that tackles sin, that's what the Lord Jesus is all about. 
He's not a social reformer, willing to help a demon-plagued Mary of Magdalene. Has room for a stubborn fisherman like Peter or a traitor's tax collector, Matthew. The Lord Jesus isn't just someone who makes a life a little bit better, a little more comfortable, a little more pleasant. He often does, but those are fringe benefits, consequences. Said the angel, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The redemption Jesus provides is radical. He removes the cause of our eternal hunger and misery. He takes away sin. He changes the focus of our love and loyalty from ourselves to others. He doesn't just give us a band-aid and a painkiller. He removes the splinter. Jesus saves from sin. He appeases the wrath of God. Judgment no longer comes over us. And he removes sin from our lives. We are transformed into selfless people filled with love and loyalty. Lord Jesus is also a complete Savior. We see that in the second place. Throughout the ages, there have been many who dare to call themselves Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet do an injustice to who the Lord Jesus is. As the Catechism puts it, they boast of him in words, but in fact, in reality, when you think about it, they deny the only Savior, Jesus. This was very true for the time in which the Heidelberg Catechism was written. The Roman Catholic Church taught that salvation is a product of cooperation between God and man. Simply put, the Roman Catholic Church taught that God gives man a jump start, cleaning up his past through Jesus, and then man has to find his own way into heaven, with God every now and then giving a bit of assistance. It's a combination of grace and works. God's grace to get you going, and man works with God to help keep you going. Some 50 years later, the Remonstrants, or Arminians, after the Catechism was written, took a similar approach. They argued, faith is man's contribution to salvation. So Roman Catholics say God's grace plus works. The Arminians say God's grace plus man's faith. The Arminian approach simply stated again, God will open your eyes to the gospel. He will make sure you get to hear the good news of salvation in Christ. You then have to reach out, accept it, put faith in God. God's offer of salvation in Jesus and man's offer of faith combine to work salvation. Both approaches see salvation as a cooperative effort between God and man. Many Christians still see it thus. The Roman Catholic Church still teach as it did 500 years ago. Armenian evangelicals also continue to emphasize the human effort of faith. It's a very human tendency after the fall, for it is kind of below human dignity to have to admit that we play no role in our salvation. Indeed, even we who confess Jesus to be a complete savior in every way easily fall into the trap of figuring we are responsible in some way for our own salvation. Let me describe how. On the one hand, there are those who doubt the power of God's salvation. Without realizing it, you could be one of them. You reflect on your life, on your transgressions and shortcomings. You shake your head. What a mess. What a mess. Observing your sins, you doubt the sincerity of your faith. You doubt the power of the Spirit to renew you. 
you even begin to have doubts whether God will indeed forgive your sins. Aren't there too many? Aren't they too great? Maybe you even convince yourself that you're sinning against the Holy Spirit, refusing to admit to your sins because you consider yourselves a hopeless cause anyway. You long for something special, some sign from God that you belong to those chosen unto salvation. You want to see the light. You want to have a real conversion experience, something extra. For such people, participating in the Lord's Supper is a most serious thing. And often they'd rather avoid it for fear of eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. The way I am, I'm too wicked for God to save me. Now think about this. What you're actually doing is looking for something in addition to salvation God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there are those who are almost nonchalant about God's forgiveness, and you could be one of them. You consider yourselves a pretty good Christian, making headway in the battle against sin. Yes, there's trust in God, but your trust is words, not experience. It's more like traditionalism. Go through the motions, but the meaning escapes you. The idea of not daring to participate in the Lord's Supper is totally foreign to you. At the same time, the Lord's Supper is not that important either. It's just a part of all the things that come with Christian worship. Think about it. Do you really feel the need for salvation God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, it's so easy to undermine the work of Jesus by our views of our lost state. We can consider ourselves so lost that Jesus isn't enough. More is needed. We can consider ourselves so good that Jesus is barely necessary. We can do a lot ourselves. But let's realize and confess, beloved, the Lord Jesus is a complete Savior. Forgiveness of sins is through his name alone. Said Peter and John to the Sanhedrin, there is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is all Jesus and only Jesus. No sin is too great. Jesus died for the prostitution of Rahab, the murder committed by King David, the idolatry of King Manasseh, the denials of Peter, the terrorist activities of the murderer on the cross, the doubts of Thomas, the persecution of Christians by Paul. All sins, yours too. No sin is beyond forgiving. Thank Jesus Christ for that. No sin, except the sin of cherishing, of cuddling your sin and refusing forgiveness. Understand, he is called Jesus. He saves his people from their sins. Thus, dear people, honor to whom honor is due. If you confess Jesus to be the complete Savior, show it. Take your life serious, and let us not think too little of God's work in Christ. God won't take that. When it comes to salvation, it is either all through Jesus or none. Yes, you can boast of the Lord Jesus in words, but in fact, deny the only Savior, Jesus. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. And the will of the Father is that only Jesus saves and saves completely. That's why you should never avoid a Lord's Supper celebration. 
Doing that is tantamount to saying, God, your forgiveness is not sufficient for my sins. I need something more. It's also why a Lord's Supper celebration should not be a not-to-be-missed experience. Being indifferent is tantamount to saying, God, I'm doing quite fine. I don't really need assurance of forgiveness. Let it show in your life that Jesus is your Savior, your complete Savior. We come to our third consideration. Jesus is our Savior. The sermon focuses on a name, but not just a name about which a lot can be said, and then that's it. We're looking at a name that we confess. The theme of the sermon is not simply Jesus is the Savior, but I am secure in Jesus the Savior. The name of the Savior is the world the name of the Savior of the world is one we use, not just as an indicator, but as a confession. It is a name which has to be confessed. Those who do not confess the name of the Lord Jesus do not receive the benefits of this name. Remember, there is no name under heaven by which we can be saved. As Christian church and as individual believers, we confess our faith in Jesus. We are convinced that he was sent by God into this world to save this world, and he is the only one able to save us. All others fall short. Only Jesus will do. My only comfort, my only security in, this, in life is that I belong to, yes, to whom? To my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We confess it with our mouths, we show it in our actions, we pray for forgiveness, we unite in worship of our Savior. We do our utmost to live selfless lives, lives dedicated to God's service and thus in keeping with God's commandments. We accept all that Jesus taught us and follow his example in life. Indeed, what we believe with the heart and confess with the mouth will bear fruit in all we plan and do. Jesus, my Savior. Realize what that means, brothers and sisters. Don't let it be an empty phrase. There's no room for being passive here. I can't do any good. It has the appearance of humility, but in fact masks deep-seated pride. For it's the idea that God isn't capable of saving a sinner such as I. It's the thought that Jesus' sacrifice would be insufficient for my sin. My sin is greater than my Savior. Nor is there room for bravado here. I'm doing just fine. It has the appearance of confidence, but in fact masks a deep-seated arrogance. For it is the idea that God won't have to do all that much to save a sinner such as I. It's the thought that Jesus' sacrifice is only the little extra needed alongside what I can do. My sin is so minimal I hardly need a savior. Beloved, what God is looking for is that we totally surrender ourselves into the hands of our savior the realization we are not worthy of ourselves. The realization in Christ we are more than conquerors. That will help us avoid a casual attitude, for we know that every single sin is another wound in the body of Christ. Every single sin is another wound in the body of Christ. Every careless word we utter, every act of disobedience, every lustful glance, avoid casual attitude. 
Surrender yourselves into the hands of your Savior. It will help us avoid passivity. For Christ's body was broken and his blood shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Have faith in the richness of salvation through the Lord Jesus. He is our Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. The hurts of life, the pains of our existence, we desperately want to be saved from that. Political injustice, social injustice, disabilities, illness, restrictions, they are included. But at bottom, that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. Our Savior saves us from our sins. And only once the cause of our hunger and misery has been dealt with, can we look to a future of perfect bliss. No injustice, no frustration. A future God has promised us in Jesus. I am secure in Jesus, the Savior. He is the true Savior. He is the complete Savior. He is our Savior. Be secure in this confession. Live it. Proclaim it. As Peter told Cornelius and his household, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. In response to the proclamation of God's word, let us sing hymn 37. Do so standing. <clears throat> 